Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestines crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We will be looking at the gospel reading for the seventh Sunday of Easter or the sixth Sunday after Easter. It's Exaudi. It comes from John chapter 15, verse 26 to chapter 16, verse 4. I will read that in the English Standard Version. Jesus said, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Right? In terms of context, is there any uh, distinct context to this besides the farewell discourse, which we have been talking about for the last six Sundays? I mean, you do have the um, the immediate preceding verses are about being hated by the world because Christ is hated. So, I mean, it does kind of follow on that, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and and he who hates me hates my father, and 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 so forth. Without and I love this in twenty five that they hated me without a cause. So that that's the actually immediate. I mean, it goes right from that. They hated me without a cause, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you. So, within the context of the farewell discourse, this is really about the suffering, and which is made explicit here about being put out of synagogues and killed, even. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. So he is preparing them not just for his departure and all of the benefit that that will bring, but also how the world, which is Antichrist, will respond to this and thus them. Right. And I mean, they're sending, right? Because they're mm-hmm. going to be witnesses. Okay. So so their office, really, he's preparing them for. I mean, this is about what they're going to do and mm-hmm. what's going to be done to them because of what they're doing, right? After the ascension. So is that why he in this text begins to use the word our not only for the enemies of Christ and the gospel but also for the disciples that they will have an hour just like Jesus has an hour or the enemies of God have their hour. Yeah, I mean he, you do have this in you know a little bit later in 16 which we had a couple weeks ago, you know when the woman's hour has come Mm-hmm. She has sorrow, right? Her, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, that there is this connection. The hour of Jesus, his glorification is his sorrow. The woman's glory is to bring a man into the world. That's her mm-hmm. hour. And uh, But now, in our, does, so, he, does he call it your hour? He only calls it the enemy's hour here, right? Uh, I mean, I know, it, or does he use indeed, that for the hour? is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to oh. God. There you go. Yeah, good. I didn't catch that. I was kind of focused. Yeah. Yeah, that's their hour. 
but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, yeah, you may remember that I told them to you. So I wonder right, right. here. I mean, so I wonder yeah, you're right. here. No, I think in verse two, in verse two, you're right. That's the disciples' hour. Correct. And then yeah. in verse four is the world's hour. So I'm curious. Right. So on the one hand, you know, we have a, a whole lot of talk about. Um, uh, theology of the cross in, I don't know what, the last 20 years. And it always seems like it's just suffering for suffering's sake. But when you read the scriptures, it seems like there's always a purpose to suffering. And you, when you're going through it, you know what it is. So Jesus knows why he's suffering. It's not like just happenstance. And so I'm wondering if there's something here that that it's not as it's not as though the disciples don't know why they have sorrow and suffering at this point, just like the woman knows why she has sorrowing, sorrow and suffering, because her hour has come to deliver the, the baby. Um, is there anything to that, that we shouldn't go around thinking like, oh, we need to be constantly dour and sad, and we're, we're, we're the suffering people of God, and woe is me, but... There should be a certain—I don't want to say joy—but there should be a, a certain exuberance in what we say and do, and we understand then why we are enduring what we're enduring. That our hour has come. That we'll know. Right. I, I mean, rejoice in the Lord always. So mm-hmm. I mean, we, we certainly have that command, and I think you're right. I think the the the, the reality, though, as we experience it, is the concrete man. You know, in our trying to struggle through these things, Mm -hmm. is that we're always so surprised by how bad it is. (laughs) And, right, so I mean, even the woman in childbirth, and I mean, we've seen this, right, uh, firsthand. I mean, these women can't believe it's this bad, and they think it's going to kill them, and they want it, and and they're almost like willing to do anything to end it, right? Yeah. and they do kind of lose their minds to the pain, or I mean, it happened to some of them, of course. Yes. And I think this is, uh, I see this a lot with all sorts of pain, where people just are like, they just can't believe it's this bad. And, you know, they, they were all ready for crosses and all ready for sorrows and trials. But when they come, they just, it, it's just unbelievable to them. And they, mm. they just don't think they can take it. And you see this a lot with grief, um, you know, when, when we lose loved ones, that pain just doesn't go away. And, you know, it just hurts a lot worse than we expected. And so, I, I mean, I think there, you're right about Jesus, of course. He, he's much more cognizant and, con- well, he's confident of his father's goodness in a way that we're not, I think. So that's why we have to be, that's why we have to do catechesis beforehand. But I think part of our catechesis needs to be a little bit more realistic. Um, what do you mean hard by that? To, I mean, I think we need to we need to say no. This is going to hurt bad, right? I mean, it's like you go. It, well, we've all experienced this, especially you know, like it, when the death of a loved one first happens, right? The 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 the, the Christians that are mourning, they're they're sad to be sure, but you know, they're they're sort of ready for it, and they can you know they bear up pretty well at the visitation and they make a good confession and they tell you they're happy for that person and you know they don't want to be selfish and keep the person here you know all the stuff we say which is it's not that it's insincere but it's kind of naive right and then it sort of 
it's sort of easy to mourn for a, a little while, right? A few days. But then, you know, when the weeks and the months and the years go by and it still hurts this bad, that, that really becomes difficult. And I think the kind of endurance of the cross is maybe we just don't talk about that enough that, you know, these pains aren't temporary. I mean, they are temporary, but they're going to last this whole life. So is that where the teaching we get from the book of Hebrews and what our Lord, he, he endured the cross, scorned its shame for the joy that was set before him. Do we ever, do we combat that by putting joy before our eyes and what that joy is? Or do we just try to escape it? Well, right. So. I mean, we're of course the temptation is to try to escape it, but I think we have to. I think the Christian response is to acknowledge it, and then to, you know, place it into God's hands, and and trust that His goodness will bring us through, and that it's worth it, because mm. the what it ought to be doing. Well, I mean, what it is doing is tearing us apart from this world, right? Mm. So, I mean, particularly again, you know, the loss of our loved ones. We want to go and be with them, you know. So you have the King David thing; he can't come back, but I can go there. And so I don't want to stay here. And that's actually now we're now we're actually growing in faith, right? Mm-hmm. So I I think that that's part of what the disciples don't have, and I mean that's what we all struggle to have. And even this, like, uh, you know, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. There's a temptation when that happens. Um, to 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 think, well, maybe they're on to something. Yeah, you know, the world doesn't come to try to to oppress us or to silence us with, you know, because we love Jesus too much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always these things that the world's like, wait a minute, you know, you guys aren't being nice to other people. You're not nice to homosexuals. You don't let them be what they want to be. I thought God was supposed to be love. You're actually a bigot. You're actually evil. Right. And that's why we're against you. And, you know, there's a temptation in that to go, am I a bigot? Maybe, maybe this, you know, it does seem like it'd be nicer just to let people do what they want. And certainly, you know, it would make these people go away that are. So th- there is this kind of temptation in this to be defined by the world and to believe that the world knows what's good mm. and that, you know, their accusations are actually leg- legit. So we need to be torn away from that. Yeah. So do you think then, particularly with what precedes this that you already mentioned about the the hatred of the world, do you think that Jesus is helping us by saying, whoever hates me hates my father also? In other words, whoever hates Jesus hates God, period. Um, that he yeah. is helping us to see really who who our enemies are, who might be considered co-belligerents against uh, a particular evil or enmity within this world, and then who are real allies. Yeah. So that and, I mean, we, we don't see, this. right, we don't see who our real enemy is because right. we don't see or are willing to st- st- state that whoever hates Jesus and thus, and also what he says, also hates God, period. Right. They hate it. If you, you hate his word, you hate him, you hate his father. Yeah. If you hate his law, right? Mm-hmm. I mean- if you hate his law, you hate his will. I mean, that's his goodness. And so, you know, these are not, but they're, again, you know, when it's our favorite rock star, you know, <laughs> saying these things, 
uh, you know, we're just so, it, it's just shameful how, how easily swayed and how we, you know, we want to like these people. We want to be liked by them. So I think that brings, a, I think that the, the, that's, I mean, the purpose of the suffering that the Christian endures is the purification of the soul, right? That mm-hmm. we are actually being strengthened in our faith and it's a chastising of our flesh and that's painful, but, but it's ultimately always a tearing us away from this world. Even, even think of like, you know, it's a beautiful confession, the, the shut in that, you know, complains that why haven't I died yet? I mean, you know, and I mean, I don't know, we, we all tell them basically the same thing. Well, you know, your good works haven't been completed, which, which is fair. That's Ephesians 2. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you can, and they say, I can't do anything. And we all say, well, you can pray, and that's true. And you can be a witness, and that's true. But, but at the base of it, you know, the fact that she is like, I want to go, I, I think that's commendable. Yeah. You know, there, she, she doesn't a, have anything here left. Good. Is there a sense in which, you know, as we age and, and well, grow old and frail, are unable to do things, is there a sense in which God is demonstrating to us that really, in the end, all we have is Jesus? Like, we yeah, don't I have anything exactly. left. Okay. That's what he's trying. I mean, that doesn't, I mean, not every shut-in is like, why am I still here? There's nothing left for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, I'd say that's really that sometimes a lot of them say it, but you know, when you, you push a little bit, it's, it doesn't seem that sincere, right? Or mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, I should, that's probably unfair of me. It's mixed. Part of them does want to go, of course, but part of them also is doing everything possible to sort of stay here. And I think, you know, these things are taken away from us. Again, this is a holy chastisement. It's not pleasant, obviously, to be in pain, you know, to, be degraded, to be lonely, mm-hmm. but we have to, it, it does teach us where our treasures are. And it also teaches us, you know, we have this false faith in in medicine in the world. And we think it's so ridiculous that we think we're going to get better. No, Nobody's getting better, right? <laughs> you can't get better. You're dying. You know, our bodies are failing. I mean, okay, maybe if you're eight years old, you can, I mean, there, but there does come a point, I don't know what it is, but you know, 22, 23 or something, right? Where you're peaking and then that's it, you know? Um, <laughs> you only have so many heartbeats. And so anyway, it, it's just this, but, but we're naive about it. And in fact, I mean, people are, it's hilarious to me how frustrated they are with medicine. I mean, with the, with the, with the medical community, uh, and, uh, you know, that there, it just doesn't, cause it really doesn't work very well. Yeah. It, it can't work. Mm-hmm. Right. You're going to die. There's no stopping it. I mean, Jesus coming back. Well, anyway, I think that's, that, that's the, the sort of goodness of it and the chastisement that we're getting in these sufferings. In this context, there's a couple other things. Um, of course we have this whole paraclete thing again. Um, I think it's worth noting here that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. He's the Spirit of truth, but he's sent by Jesus, and he's sent to witness of Jesus. And this is, of course, very parallel to the sending in John chapter 20 of the apostles themselves who Mm. receive the Holy Spirit and are sent as Jesus was sent. So Jesus was sent, the Holy Spirit sent, the apostles are sent, and all three of them bear witness to the same reality that Jesus is the Christ. And then I wonder in 27... So could you say, just to back up a little bit, could you say that 
the outpouring of the Holy Spirit likewise comes through means. So it's going to come through mm. the apostolic witness then, the preaching of the, the counsel of God. Yeah, I think so. Right. I mean, the spirit of truth, right? That's not an abstraction, you know. He, he's mm. the spirit that actually reveals the heart of the Father through the word of mm. the apostles. Yeah. Enables the apostles to actually speak the truth, to give this witness. Mm-hmm. So it's not just it's not just a matter of accuracy, right? <sighs> I mean, it is accurate, but it, it's yeah. It's, it's I know action. what you mean. It's more, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not just facts. Yeah, there you go. It's not just facts, right? This is the spirit that is breathed into them that actually causes them. Now, I wonder. Maybe you won't like this. In verse twenty-seven, he says they're going to bear witness because they have been with him from the beginning. And I think on the surface, of course, we all go, oh, that means they've been there, you know, since the bap- his baptism in the Jordan River. Hmm. But I wonder if this actually is a reference to, um, to predestination. That is, that he has known them from the foundation of the world, and he has chosen them for this work, and that's why they're bearing this witness. And if that's the case, if we, if we wanted to try to argue that, I mean, I wouldn't want to be super dogmatic. But I think that that would then enable this passage to apply beyond the apostles, right? That we've all, in some sense, we've all been with Jesus from the beginning. Not, not just, you know, when he was baptized in the Jordan or when he was born in Bethlehem, yeah. but, you know. You know how, anyway. do you know? do you remember what you said when I asked about the angel, if that was the angel of the Lord, and you said, <laughs> I don't like it? Yeah. I, I, I get those same vibes only from my side. It's from my side this time. I don't know. You've got well, Luke 1, right? Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Or Acts, okay, fair Acts enough. 1, 21 and 22. Even First John. <laughs> Beloved, I am All writing right. to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. No, I I I, but I, I knew it was out there. But it's worth discussing, right? How does well, how, I mean? How does, it, does it change? Well, the th- weird. It's kind of weird to me that right. It seems like he would say, "And you will also bear witness because I'm sending you, or because I give you the Holy Spirit, or you know, because you know you have faith, because you've been with me from the beginning." Well, I mean, other people were with him from the beginning. That's not the totality of the cause. Judas was with him from the beginning. Yeah. So I that's why I was that's sort of why I was thinking about it. But I'm willing to I'm willing to forego it. I, I was uh I don't know, it just seemed like a weird because to me. Well, this is the isn't this the requirement for the replacement of Judas? I mean that's the what's the requirement they come up with. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh well no what did they say has to be from what do they say? Because Paul, how does Paul get in? He's not quite. There is sort of the sense that Paul doesn't seem to quite meet their criteria, right? Where's that at? So it's Acts one twenty one and twenty two. Okay, for it is written in the book of Psalms, "Let his dwelling place be desolate; no, no one live in it. Let another take his office." Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness of his resurrection. Yeah. I mean, John, I mean, Paul's not with them. 
at, at the Jordan River, presumably, and, and mm-hmm. going well, along through all this stuff. he has to stuff. constantly... Um, defend himself? Defend his ap- uh, apostolic ministry, that he's an apostle. Right. Okay. Well, I, I think it, certainly it seems as though they are understanding the beginning as being the baptism of John. That's the beginning of his public ministry, mm-hmm. and you need to have the full catechesis um, to be an apostle. Yeah, you had to Paul, go through three years of seminary and a vicarage. Right, right. And a vicarage, that's right. <laughs> Not necessarily right. in that order. Give, you have to give children sermons, consecrate the elements, and uh, <laughs> otherwise compromise yourself. To <laughs> you know what I mean. That's, <laughs> you know, th- that seminary for- that formation, that's the from the beginning. No, I agree with that. I, I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I think that's, at least I, I agree I agree completely that that's the first meaning of this or the primary meaning. Yeah, but maybe so, there's a sort of yeah more. But that but. does raise the question whether this applies then to the current believer, whether they will also bear witness in the same manner that the apostolic ministers are going to bear witness. Well, not exactly. I mean, I, they're not. I mean, we're not apostles. I mean, that is a unique. They, the apostles have a unique authority. Mm-hmm. No one, I mean, only those 12 or 13 have it, yeah. right? We'll include Matthias for... So so is does that change how you preach the text? So if you're going to focus on, they were there from the beginning, they replaced you know, Judas with mm. Matthias, um, despite the hatred of the world, despite the, the world's hour coming to try to stamp out Gamaliel's prophecy comes true, that if this is of God, it will not be contained. And despite the fact that the world continues to press in on the apostolic witness, Jesus has put it under his feet and thus ours. Well, I mean, they do, I mean, they, again, you know, they they are sent directly Mm -hmm. by by the Son, as the Spirit is, in a way that we're not with the direct call. They also, I mean, they fulfill these, um, I mean, they are literally put out of the synagogues and they are literally killed mm-hmm. where, you know, plenty of Christians haven't been. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean, all of us are to some degree, we all suffer crosses and we all suffer hostility from the world and are unjustly accused of things and insulted and the like. But yeah, you're convincing me actually. I'm coming back from my idea. I, I think, I think maybe this is, uh, may, maybe this really is about apostolic authority and their unique office that yeah. they, in particular, are. To, and it makes sense on a, on ex audi, you know. Um, which, by the way, I think the historic lectionary does not call that the sixth Sunday after Easter, but it's usually referred to as the Sunday, Sunday after, after ascension. ascension. Okay, or in the octave of ascension, if you're fancy. And we are anyway. here, so. Yeah, of course we are. There we go. <laughs> so, so if this is about the well the victory of jesus and thus the victory of the apostolic witness does uh, how do how do we apply it to our hearers as remember that this happened to them and look at the church now yeah is that, is i mean that, i think you know it, it right there is a i mean even though we're not apostles i mean this still applies to us um in many ways, obviously, that uh, we're not 
completely different than the apostles. We just don't have the same authority they do. Mm. And maybe we won't be martyred, but we are going to endure these things. And so yeah. we need to to recognize where our confidence and certainty comes from in the prophetic and apostolic word and what we cling to and remember, right, what's been told so that we don't. He says twice, he says, right, I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And I have spoken to you or have told you these things that you may remember, right, when they're happening so that sort of in the St. Peter language, you don't think it's strange, mm. right? Yeah. So there is that, I mean, of course, then the great, there is sort of ironic that he says, I mean, this is on Thursday night, right? Uh, I'm telling you these things so that you should not be made to stumble, but of course they do. I, I like the translation stumble here. What You had fall away or something. Yeah. It's You could have fall into sin. I mean, scandalizo is what it's the... But I think in this context, it's a little softer. Why? So I like stumble here. Um, it feels softer to me. It doesn't feel to me... I don't know why. It just contextually... <laughs> These things I've spoken to you that you should not lose the faith. Um, it, it doesn't seem that he's saying that that's, that that's the sort of most immediate danger, but rather he's trying to help them. I don't know. Maybe that's a subtle distinction, but you know, he wants them to remember these things um, so that- Is there know, a difference between why. stumbling and falling away? I mean, I think- Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think stumbling is a- I mean, think, think in the Proverbs, a, right? The Proverbs, the Proverbs talk about, you know, so that you can run and not have anything knock you down or, I mean, and knock you off the way. I don't know. It seems like it's getting at the same thing. Maybe. I guess you could, yeah, I mean, well, stumbling has the possibility, right? You stumble and don't get back up. But, mm -hmm. but I would say stumbling has the possibility of getting back up. So it's not, you know, I, I've spoken these things to you that you would not be struck dead and go to hell. Okay. I mean, that's the danger of stumbling. It could lead to that. But it just feels to me as though in this context, I don't know, in the context of this, I mean, I don't, I mean, in the context of this farewell discourse, he's preparing them, you know, to be apostles. They are going to stumble at the, at the crucifixion. Um, and maybe they're even outside of the faith, mm -hmm. uh, seems like Thomas is, but, uh, and Peter. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's, uh, so I can't it, prove it. Yeah. It's an aorist but, passive subjunctive, uh, obviously subjunctive because that's of the, really helpful. the, the Hina clause, right. In order that you may not be caused to stumble, that you may not be scandalized Yeah, by stumble. what you endure so that you reject Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I think there there is a, you know, there is a range of of meaning for this word. We usually go for the harshest one. So, and I mean, I think most of the time the harshest one is right. It's it's sometimes it's translated into English as offense, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't give offense. You don't cause someone else to be scandalized. And that's a little too soft because of, you know, modern English. We hear that as, you know, so you don't hurt anybody's feelings. Right. And it, it's never, it's, that's what, right? You gave me offense. You hurt my feelings. It's in the Bible, it means more than that, right? It doesn't just mean hurt somebody's feelings. It means cause someone to sin. And here I would say, too, uh, to, to even to stumble would still be to sin. It's not like you just made a mistake, mm -hmm. you know? This is like the old, I mean, this would be to stumble here would be a moral failure, not just, you know, cutting a board too short, right? The old, can Jesus cut a board too short? I'd say yes. Um, Right. But the, uh, 
you know, anyway, so those are the two things <laughs> he's trying to keep them from sinning and he's preparing them to not sin with doctrine. So that yeah. was the other point, right? That he's, he isn't, you know, in fact, I mean, it's, it's not that this is, this is a, a completely different thing, but it, he doesn't give them the Holy spirit so that they don't sin, or he doesn't give them, you know, the forgiveness of sins so that they don't sin. I, though, I mean, of course, th- those things are, are connected, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's teaching them so they don't sin, right? Yeah. Is there any, okay, so is there any sense in which when he says, I have said all these things, that's in the perfect tense. Is that the proper understanding, just I have said all of these things? I mean, you make a big probably deal out should of, be you know, trans- it is finished or instead of- Right, I speak these things to you. I speak to you. Yeah, it is spoken. There we go. So it is spoken. Um, these things, yeah, how do you do that with the yeah. first person though? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We might have to. We might have to use a. Pa- we might have to use a, a perfect in English. I can't think how to do it. These things, because if you just do a, a simple present tense, it doesn't seem. You'd I have to say like I yeah. have spoken and and am still speaking to you. And I'm still speaking. I like that, but that's pretty cumbersome. But I mean, that would. I'd say that's the that's the right way to translate the perfect. I have spoken and am still speaking, but it's nice when you can just use you know like the. Uh, uh, the problem with I am speaking is that's a continue. I mean, that's a, that would be an imperfect, right? Or I mean, or uh, I was, what is that in? That's present. Tense. Yeah, that's. What, I'm sorry. It's what's the ongoing? I mean, the progressive tense in English. I am speaking. I guess the simple, um, just a, just a regular present in Greek. Mm-hmm. But the imperfect is unfinished. Anyway, I don't know. I'm okay with I have spoken in this case despite my rule of trying to make the present tense always an ongoing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you, it does would you, seem, would you yeah. make it passive in English? I have been speaking to you. Oh, there you go. There you go. I think that would work. Yeah. That maybe that's better. I think that that gets it better. Okay. I have been speaking to you that you should not be made to stumble. And these things. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. But it has an ongoing authority. It's not just a kind of a, yeah, of course. Completed right. These words, the these words stand, right? And then this remembering thing, of course. Um, I always like to point this out that uh that remembering was was never done silently until recent times. Hmm. So we hear the word remember and we think of it as an internal mental silent act, right? I'm sitting at my desk, I have I've been given a test by the teacher and I remember the answers and I write them down. But so we think of it as, you know, something that happens mentally. And I mean, it does happen mentally, but remember is remembrance is done out loud. Hmm. Um, and in Hebrew, the word for remember also means to proclaim because in an oral society, right? Where, and I mean, even though Hebrew and the Christians are a written society, but you know, books are expensive. Um, so, I mean, these things have to be told. If you want your grandpa to be remembered, you have to tell his stories. If you just think about them yourself, mm-hmm. not only will you forget, which you will, but no one else will know. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you get this sense community. in the third commandment. Remember yeah. the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Yeah. And in, of course, the words of institution, do this in remembrance of me, proclaiming his death until he comes. Mm. You know, we don't yeah. just 
sit and think about it. And the and the the but act who's of doing the mem- re- remembering there? <laughs> it's the Christian. I, <laughs> yes, I'm familiar with this argument, and I think it's way. Uh, it's stretched. I mean, of course, there is there is a sense in which God does remember us, but I mean, the the context there. Do this in remembrance of me. I mean, he's talking to the apostles and to those who receive the sacrament. So, I mean, who's doing the eating? Are you going to make that? <laughs> That's actually Jesus is the one who drinks and eats. Right. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Oh my goodness. These are our friends. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay. Well anyway, so. <laughs> so you may you may remember that I told you of them, right? Is is uh an aid to not stumbling, uh an aid to enduring temptation, recognizing, kind of correcting the worldview. Mm-hmm. I think I've probably talked about this before, but I really love this thing from uh Walter Brueggemann about the Psalms about uh How's it go? Ordering, reordering, and so, have I talked? Do you know about that? I remember you mentioning Brueggemann, but I don't remember this in particular. This is particularly he likes to his. his uh, un, I think he's very good on the Psalms. He um he talks about he likes to think of how the Psalms are actually used contextually, and rather than it being a messianic Psalm or a royal Psalm or a Psalm of lament, um, he conceives of it as this is a Psalm that sort of tells us what the order of the world really is, even though we don't experience it that way. So like Psalm 1, it sounds like too good to be true. And in fact, these are the Psalms I would say that Lutherans usually are uncomfortable with Mm. because it doesn't sound like the theology of the cross, right? You know, Mm. the wicked do not prosper and all that kind of stuff. And so he says, well, this is establishing what the order is that we receive by faith. So we're it's it's you know it's ideological or it's dogmatic and it's explaining what's true, and it's contrary in a sense to our experience, and so it sort of stands against us and accuses us, but it also orders us. And then there's psalms of disorder, which uh, I'm not sure I'm using the terms. It's been a while since I've looked at this, but like the psalms of lament, uh, where we're complaining. Now we're actually giving voice to what we experience. Hey. The wicked are prospering. You said they wouldn't, right? This isn't just, you know, make this right. And so the kind of complaint is a kind of confession of our experience. And then, but like most of the Psalms of Lament, maybe all but one actually, um, kind of come back at the end and then reorder. So you have sort of order, it's just telling us what it is. You have disorder where we're confessing our experience of the world and making our complaint that it's not the way God said it would be. And then you have the sort of reordering, which is where we, we, we repent and we believe and we trust and we say, no, I believe that what God said about the order is actually right, even though I can't see it. And so I'm, I'm going to trust in that and I'm going to wait for the day when it, I will experience fully in the eschatological reality, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think that's a beautiful. I think these. I think he's right about this, and I think it applies way more than just the Psalms. And I think the Lutherans, right? At least modern Lutherans, like we like to really live in that disordered place where we're confessing. You know, the, this whole you know the Heidelberg uh, disputation. You know, a theologian of a cross calls a thing what it is. Well, there's two sides of that. Um, 
you know, we only usually get to the bad side of it. Well, this sucks, right? That's calling it what is. This is this sucks. This is wrong. I don't like this. I'm unhappy. That's that's a legit confession of what we experience. But we also, and this goes to what you were saying earlier, right? We also need to confess that God is good, that he knows what he's doing, that all things work together for good, um, and, and trust in him. Right mm-hmm. and to be and to have joy in the midst of this suffering. So it's not one or the other, right? It's both things kind of simultaneously. Well, maybe not necessarily simultaneously all the time. And there's kind of a movement back and forth. Do you, th- uh, so do you think that's, that's part of do the? You, do you think that we have been ruined because we are kind of instant gratification minded? That we expect things to be fixed right away, whereas perhaps our counterparts in ages past recognized the longevity of things. So can you imagine anyone now agreeing to build a cathedral? <laughs> right. I, I right. Mean, would they, we, you wouldn't we, even, your grandchildren wouldn't even finish. Yeah. The, uh, right. Can you imagine anyone now when he's 80 planting a tree that he would never enjoy the shade of? Right. Uh, I think this speaks to our expectations and our hopes that it, we just think it's all vanity that yeah. it doesn't like that it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Well, and I mean there is a, just a deep selfishness that doesn't that doesn't think of, right it, it, why why would I bother with something <laughs> for the future? Right. Um so that we should yeah, we should well, begin thinking after our grandchildren perhaps are dead, we are we are doing things for that far off. And if the Lord comes in the meantime, so be it. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> so it's wonderful either way. There's work involved either way, but it's wonderful either way. Yeah. Well, you need to you need to write that down and repeat it to yourself when you're at the synodical convention this July over and I, over again. I'm I'm not gonna be there. <laughs> Oh, me either. But the, uh, I mean, I think this, this is a, we do need a call to repentance and to patience and humility. Um, yeah. So long as right, we don't begin to, to understand patience as a, a lack of urgency for the work that is actually set to our hands. Oh, oh right, right, yeah. right. No, I agree. Uh, of course. But at the same time, you know, we need to recognize our own frustration that everything's not perfect. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a long, I mean, it's way worse than not being perfect. I get that. But, but there is the, there is the sort of reality of the brokenness of the church and of, you know, the, you know, the lack of courage of her leaders and the moral failures of her people. And you're right. I mean, that is not new. And, you know, we do tend to get a bit wound up yeah, we just seem to be playing for scraps instead of like playing for keeps long term. Like we're yeah, always looking we, for short term, short term yeah. wins instead of like we're just gonna play. We're, we're gonna we're gonna play. We're gonna play for keeps. Like we're just playing to hold yeah. on to something instead of no. We want exactly what was promised. Well, I think it goes, it's, there's a lot of what you were talking about, not thinking about the future. I mean, we're so, I, I think we're so worried about the, what the world thinks, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if we're asked, if we're asked a question that the law answers very clearly, but the law answers in a way 
that, you know, MSNBC finds despicable. I mean, we are tap dancing like crazy, right? Oh, you know, we don't want to come off judgmental, right? right? So if somebody asks us about, say, sexual perversions, you know, we're going to have a very long, you know, careful answer so that nobody thinks that we're judging. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we don't be want very to quick to say media. that. And be very quick to say that, you know, the sins in my heart are just as bad. Exactly. And that's, that's not, that's because we're afraid of how the, what the world will think of that, of what God says about that question. Yeah. Whereas if we're asked a question and, you know, MSNBC agrees with the law, you know, that like, say, if we're asked a question about prejudice or bigotry or, you know, racism, then we're like, oh, I mean, hundred percent, we have no problem answering it. There's no, hey, you know, I have sins in my heart too, right? So, I mean, I think that's very clear. I think that's a very clear indictment against us that we care about. We care about the world. We care right. about the world's opinion, and that's what's driving mm-hmm. how we answer the question. Not not solely. I mean, it's not that that's t- totally apart from the Word of God. And but I mean, I think that's a that's like what you're talking about—a kind of short-term thing, and. Because the reality is, right, we need to speak clearly on these things, of, of course, with sensitivity, but we do need to speak clearly on the issues of our day from the Word of God, even if they're unpopular. Yeah. And, okay. Um, so I get for long term. Yeah. We, I, I don't think, I think we treat everyone, every audience as though we're speaking to someone in our parish. And I don't think that mm. we're given to do that. I think there are different audiences. So, so, so if I'm in the pulpit and generally I cannot I have to say very broadly what the word of God says no matter whether I know someone in my parish might mishear this and think well what about I have to state what the law says or what the what, what yeah. the bible says I can then one on one help that person understand and I think the same thing for the world yeah. I I think I think we need to keep in mind the different audiences. So, you know, if you watch Jesus when he's speaking in general, he's <laughs> he's not constantly taking away what he said by all the caveats. Right. Right. And I think we do way no, too much of that. I do too. That's what I okay. think that's Is a that short term. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think okay. we're 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 afraid to speak this kind of directly and and I don't mean to say that we again, you know, I recognize there's some there needs to be some awareness, but yeah, Jesus doesn't do this. And I think it's a short-term thing that we're trying to, you know, buy the favor of the world that hates God. <laughs> you that know, hates MSNBC, Jesus and thus hates God. <laughs> I mean, at best, what you're going to get, let's say you give this kind of careful, long, nuanced, sensitive response to some question, you know, and then what What will NSNBC do with that? Let's put the best construction on it. They'll, they'll give you a pass that day. I mean, you haven't convinced them of anything, right? No, and they're not stupid. I mean, they they can see right through it. And so they'll just follow follow up and say, but you still think it's wrong. Well, I think also they (laughs) recognize- You still think it's a sin. Yes, we do. Okay, well, we don't. And we think that you're evil for thinking it's a sin. Exactly. So we'll do God a favor by killing you. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I mean, I think too that they also recognize that they are that they're in control, and that they are the powers that we have to answer to. Mm-hmm. They because they see us tap dancing, and they know why we're tap dancing. Yeah. So, 
it's a short-term, worldly, you know, um, oriented response. Yeah. But he says All here, right. just to bear witness. He doesn't say yeah, be winsome. He doesn't say, <laughs> you know, make the caveats. He just says, bear witness. Right. But I mean, you know, uh, to everything, there is a season. I mean, again, there are, I mean, but, well, I mean, we got to like bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You yeah. know, all the situations that I've been in and how I've responded. Right. Right. Hey, let's talk for a minute about, um, I've become very interested in the last few months in first Peter. And we've, we've had quite a bit of first Peter in the lectionary lately on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have uh, again this week, First Peter four seven to eleven, um, and there's a look. I mean, the the context here is interesting, but he, it just jumps in. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have this translation has fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. And then he goes on. Um, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. In all things, God may be glorified. And then in the next paragraphs, which aren't included in the historic thing, we get this, uh, we're going to get this stuff about the fiery trials and, uh, and, and most shocking, that judgment begins with the house of God in verse 17. Mm-hmm. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Um, which is a pretty hard passage. It's, it seems very parallel to when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith, right? Can mm-hmm. anyone be saved? Uh, so anyway, I think this is, I've become very interested in this particular passage that love covers a multitude of sins, uh, literally like it, it, it covers is, I mean, I guess it's okay, but I would say love hides a multitude of sins. Um, it's not, it doesn't forgive sins, right? Cause we're talking here about human love. This isn't atoning love, but it has to do with how we get along with one another and how we sort of proceed. Because in fact, as the end come, the end of all things is hand and men do stumble, right? Um, and so we are called upon to hide their shame. Uh, this is translated in fervent love. I would translate this. I think it'd be. I think it should be translated. And I think the ESV does constant love. Uh, this it is says not earnestly. a degree of. Yeah. You know, oh, earnestly. That's too bad. It's. It has to do with stretching out. It has to do with endurance, timing. So it's uh, faithfulness. It's not a degree of strength. That, you know, earnest or strong or deep or whatever. But it's rather the quality of endurance. So constant love, it's going to require constant effort on our part to hide the shame of our brothers, to be hospitable to them without grumbling, uh, to minister to one another as good stewards and the like. And uh, this is necessary for life in the church on the, in the, in the end times. Now, Peter doesn't, I mean, this letter does not have much about doctrine, right? This is not Paul. He's much more concerned about our conduct. Now, he does bring up the word of God several times, that the word of God endures and we're anchored in the word and so forth. So you have a a little bit of it. I'm not saying it's totally absent. But I think that this is, uh, 
an incredible uh, passage to describe what life in the church is. Mm -hmm. And it's a real call to repentance, of course, for all of us to, you know, how do we hide one another's shame and uh, what, when, when do we hide it? And when do we, when are we required, of course, to actually expose it? Um, Because it's not as though we're supposed to, you know, put up with, false doctrine or put up with, you know, horrific abuse. So, of course, we're, we're called upon to hide repentant sins that have been forgiven and to help a person, you know, walk in a way and be accepted among us. It, so really, I would say, I think this is really about kind of covering sins of weakness and sins of passion that have been, that have been repented of, and then a call to not sort of act with suspicion and malice toward one another. Um, and I mean, there, there is an eternal consequence of this. Uh, he says in verse 15, right, let none, you know, that, okay, so if uh, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, then the, the glory of God rests upon you. Uh, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, mm-hmm. an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters, yeah. right? So he's not saying these sins are just fine. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So for the I, time has come. I always took verse eight as keep loving one another earnestly because love covers or hides a multitude of sins. That 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 love that covers the sin is not the covering of the one loved, but the one loving. So if you're envious mm. or you have hatred, if you are if you stretch yourself out to show love, it's covering what you yourself have inside. It's hiding oh. it. It's not bringing it out. I like that. I don't think that's the whole thing. I mean, I don't think that's false. I'm just going to look. I can't remember because but I'm looking up the reference, Proverbs 10.2. That's not right. Proverbs 10.12. Sorry, I misread it. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. I mean, that works for what you're saying. Um but I think I think it's more. It, it has to do with getting along in a sense, right? Um, and I think you know, in, um, you're right, though. Of course, there is this danger in insisting on other people's sins and other people's faults is dangerous to the one who's who's behaving in this way. So that that's true as well. But I mean, uh, what I was thinking of is that we have our own issues with people. Yeah, right? so, exactly. We dislike them because they have this kind of personality, which isn't necessarily sinful. It's just who they are. Or we dislike them because they are better at things than we are. And so because of this kind of sin within ourselves, St. Peter is saying, don't let your own sin disrupt the body of Christ, but hide it by demonstrating love to the people. I think that's fair, but I I think also there is the need to actually look past. Uh, sometimes you know their faults or their weaknesses. Ours, I mean, most of the time, I think actually our sin, right? I mean, maybe they're not, but but I mean, the problem is is that we want to exaggerate them beyond you know whatever. You know, my my wife, I don't you know I don't know she she walked in the room and didn't greet me, you know. I mean, there, oh. I could complain that that's a lack of attention and that she owes me that and it's rude, right? So it's, but I could also excuse it 
and say, well, yeah. she's distracted because of, so, I mean, I think there is, it's not that it's not that there, I mean, sometimes it, but it's that, just pure. It, that's envy. what's residing in you. And so you draw near to love. Yeah. But she does need forgiveness because she hasn't acted perfectly also. Okay. Sometimes, I mean, it might just me be just being absolutely wicked. I'm just sad because you're happy, right? Something You're more talented than me, and you've worked harder than me, and you've got these things, and I just hate that. So, I mean, there are times when, when you've done nothing to me, but there are other times when you have actually done something to me, and my flesh is tempted to rise up. And yeah. you're right, if I let it rise up, it destroys me. But also, uh, you know, I do need to... I mean, for the sake of community to avoid strife uh, and for the sake of your own sanctification, right? I can't be trying to hold you to the letter of the law on these, on every detail because it will damage your faith as well. Now, again, I mean, this is right, not a murderer, not a thief, not an evildoer. And it doesn't mean that there's no instruction or correction. Hey, you know, I'm, you know, that's needed, uh, but I do think that there is, again, this kind of, along with this sort of call to patience, right? How are we going to uh, think of, uh, it's really in Philippians, St. Paul has this amazing thing where he he accepts the preaching of those who are preaching out of envy, <laughs> even though they're doing it to add to his afflictions while he's in prison. And he says, well, they're preaching Christ good enough for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an amazing passage to me. It can't mm-hmm. be that they're teaching heresy, that, you know, this isn't, he doesn't rejoice at the preaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I don't know. I think this is a, I think this I think is that's a huge the example. Passage. That's the example that he's saying. So he's saying when this is the case and you see someone being lifted up beyond where you were, you should rejoice. It's kind of like, like one of my new sayings that I got from Dwight Moody, the only quote from Dwight Moody that I know, which is when you get complaints about what you're doing, you know, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. So when yeah. someone's complaining about what someone else is doing, can you believe that they're doing that? <laughs> you can say, well, I like the way they're doing it better than the way you're not. But in Philippians, they're the ones that are called envious and they are yeah. deliberately trying to hurt him by preaching. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, he's being tempted. I think you're right. He's tempted to, you know, whatever anger and, and, and the like, but he's he's willing to look past it. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's this same sort of thing Peter's calling us to. I mean, you know, now how does that relate to, to Jesus' words? Um, Jesus says that we're going to be, they're going to be caused to stumble. I mean, we're going to see this, right? Not only with, you know, Peter's failure on Friday morning, but, you know, Peter and Paul's, uh, difficulty, Paul and Barnabas's difficulty, Mark and Paul's difficulty, right? There there are going to be these realities in the church because of sin that, you know, we're going to have to learn to deal with in a Christian manner um, so that we, again, so that we can bear witness. And, you know, the answer isn't to compromise the witness. Right. But yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, I don't know. So, I just am very interested in this passage. So I just wanted to talk about it. So there you go. And what so about what this you, judgment begins with the house of God? I mean, that's a, again, I mean, that's a stern warning. I know it's well, not I mean, in the keep, pericope. It's, it's a, what is it like? Keep your life and conduct pure? Uh, what is, is that? Say? Is that in James or is that in? 
he says that sort of thing a lot. I mean, I don't know if he, he uses those exact words, but he says could, here he says could be in you know Timothy or Titus too. Yeah, I mean, I also think by the way in verse sixteen. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Um, you know, I think that this, I think that this has to include the suffering of the conscience from accusations of the law. Mm. I don't, it's not limited to that, but I think that, that part of being a Christian is to, is to suffer the reality of right Romans seven. And then in the context of, you know, being thrown out of the synagogue and stuff that, you know, the despising of the world. And I mean, there's just all sorts of, to, to suffer as a Christian is to just to recognize Again, that kind of Brueggemann thing—the order that God actually says: "Know your mind. You're baptized. This is all working out together for good. Don't listen to, right? Trust the word. All that stuff." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always taken it as what, what even you know, Adam Kuntz talked about at that one November fest that we had. Uh, you know, when the world says all these evil things about us, we're suffering as a Christian. Yeah. We're being slandered. Yeah. And sometimes we're slandered by our own, uh, by the old man, right? Yep, definitely. So you know, there there the is this the just world the, the, and our sinful nature, right? So so I don't think we have to read this as not, but it does apply to this as well. But it, it doesn't mean you have to be martyred, you know, in an explicit way. You know, you don't have to suffer to the point of blood um, to suffer as a Christian. And mm-hmm. uh, well, I yeah. mean, and sometimes we suffer at. Um, the fingers being pointed at us from other Christians. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, they become ashamed of the witness that, I mean, this is, this is how, this is how the disciples did were scandalized. They were scandalized by the shame that Jesus actually endured. They didn't, they didn't want, they thought this is bad. And so often Christians who, you know, get put in the dock, so to speak, and are questioned and are put on trial for their what they believe or what they have said. There are a host of people saying, "You know, I, I just wouldn't have said it that way, and I could have avoided right. all I, of this." Oh, and, and or or even if, well, okay, he's technically right, but you know, he's just you know, he's behaved so badly in so many other ways that you know. It's his own fault. We can't do anything for him. I mean, there's this just yeah. Or these are the yeah, kind of people goes, he has hung out with, uh, or yeah, that's right. He liked to tweet I mean, once by by this wicked. Yeah, yeah. Cancel culture is is, and then you know this again. This kind of suspicion. I mean, um, mm-hmm. you know, investigating. You know, looking for. Look, if you're if you're suspicious of. I don't know, you know, a pastor in the ministerium of the Missouri Synod or of a mm-hmm. student at one of our schools. I mean, I would think the right thing to do as a Christian is to call that person. Oh, definitely. And not you know? like set up an account and, and dox them or and then right. push that they or be to, removed you know, from right. Try the to Christian find, congregation yeah. Try to f- by fiat. Write a letter to this. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I mean, I mean there's we, just we don't this, have like, any of that happening, thankfully, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I've just. <laughs> I, I guess it's just very. I'm very frustrated that uh, at the, uh, you know, I I I hear a lot of calls for trust, you know, from you know synodical officials, uh, and you know I'm supposed to trust them. 
I mean, there's 20 congregations in the Missouri Synod that are still practicing online communion, right? It's been three mm-hmm. years. They're still doing it. The, the powers that be are fully aware of it, but it's a very complicated, difficult problem. They're working on it, and I need to trust them because they're doing yeah. something, and I don't know all the stuff that mm-hmm. goes on, and I don't know how complicated and difficult it is. I have to trust them. Okay. But, you know, it's the same thing with grape juice at communion. They're working on that. They've been working on that for a really long time, but it's they're apparently really working hard on it. You uh-huh. know, open communion. I mean, on and on and on it goes, and I'm supposed to trust them, right? Yes. And, and then uh, the moment I don't that think- something <laughs> is in line with w- the world, they can get right on it. Well, they also, I don't think, I don't feel trusted. That's what I was going to say. Uh, you know, um, I don't feel trusted. And uh, it, it seems to me that, you know, when I'm being called upon to trust you um, and you're doing all these things, and I, I just should know that you have good motives and that you're sincere and that your life's really hard and complicated, um, you know, it seems like, it seems like that trust, if you're so if you need me to trust you so badly, wouldn't you extend it also? Isn't that a two-way thing? Just trust us, Dave. <laughs> so anyway, I, 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 I'm. this is where I think this love covers a multitude of sins could really be put to use for us. Um, mm. And I think, you know, it, we're just dismissing of things so quickly that are serious because, well, it showed up on Twitter and I don't even know what Twitter is actually, but whatever it showed up on, you know, a blog and therefore that's Mm -hmm. the wrong place or it wasn't said in the perfect way or blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, cancel culture comes in all of these other things and, you know, it's a double standard. Uh, So, you know, we need to start, this thing needs to, we legitimately need to actually do these things and work and be honest and open and repent and, yeah, so I mean, and that's what James is constantly railing against, being yeah. double-minded. Right. We so if we stumble, if we stumble, let's, you know, let's address it and let's pick one another up and let's try to move forward. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to preach on? Oh, brother. I haven't thought about that. It, it's <laughs> not like I don't ask you that every single week. I know. You're right. I should have <laughs> seen it coming. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't know I, I actually have quite a bit on this whole sending thing. I mean, this, mm-hmm. I think there's the, the Trinitarian character of the apostolic sending. I think, I think the connection between this and John 20, you know, with the giving of the Holy Spirit and sending is interesting. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'll just spend some time in First Peter. Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that. Because it really is, right? How do we get along as a congregation? You know, yeah. there are. I mean, you could, you know, you you could, you know, enter into it by saying, the Helper, you know, the Paraclete has come. He is the Spirit of Truth, and and this is what He reveals to you, right? That yeah. though you are not cast out of synagogues anymore, um, there is still a, a real threat to the Christian community that we would start casting one another out for Ill, yeah. for for the wrong reasons. And right. here's what St. Peter says. Yeah, there so you So maybe go. something well, like that. Well, you know, because I mean, this also, of course, afflicts Christian families. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it, it afflicts congregations deeply. You know, people leave and all this. But, um, you know, also, I mean, even within families, you know, lawsuits yeah. and 
disputes over inheritance and, you know, old grudges. And so, I mean, you know, this is a reality for the, for the church. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, we are being hurt by it. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Well, thanks for your time, Dave. And we'll uh, catch up for Pentecost. All right. Thanks, Jason.